when you come to Hebrews chapter 2, you come to a verse like verse 3, which we'll read in just a moment. And a lot of people interpret that as being a message or a word to the lost. It's not a message to the lost at all. It's a message to the saved. Now, I'm going to go through and show you why that's the case. Um, there are those, as uh, a matter of fact, if you read Bible scholars or commentaries, whatever you want to call them, it's going to be about a 50-50 split on who thinks it's talking to the lost and who thinks it's talking to the saved. Um, but when you put it in its proper context, it's, it's blatantly obvious um, that it is written to the saved and not the lost. And so remember, the book of Hebrews was not written to lost people. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew believers. And being written to Hebrew believers, he was trying to exhort them um, because he understood that they were being taught some things um, that were causing them to, Judaizers specifically, that were causing them to elevate things of Judaism above the Lord Jesus. And they were trying to get, he was trying to get them to the place of understanding Christ is greater than all of these things. And that's the theology of the book of Hebrews. And so when you come to verse number one of chapter two, um, he begins to now take what he said in chapter one, and, and then he gives a warning on the basis of what he says in chapter one. Now there's five warnings in the book of Hebrews, okay? The warning that we find here to believers in, in chapter 2 is a warning about drifting. When you get on into chapter 12, which is the fifth of the warnings, it's literally a warning against defying the Lord. I mean, so each of these warnings become progressive as you walk through the book of Hebrews. Uh, but I want us to look at this first one this uh, tonight, if you would. So if you would, please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Therefore, we, now let me ask you a question. If we don't know who the audience is, would, do we, would we all agree that the writer of Hebrews was saved? Well, he includes himself here. Therefore, we. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we, now again he includes himself, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you would just drive this truth home into our hearts. Uh, Father, that you could use this truth to, by your Holy Spirit to protect us. Father, to help us to be guarded concerning drifting in our spiritual walk. And Father, we'll give you the praise for how you do this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, 
Amen. When we get to verse 1, you find the admonition about the Word. Verse 1 through 4 all dovetails around our response to the Word of God. Because he's going to deal with the Word was spoken, the Word was given, all these truths about the Word. Now when you get to verse 1, he begins here with this word therefore. Now, remember, if you find the word therefore, you ought to ask the question, what is it therefore? And therefore, we go back and we find out he's connecting us to what he said in chapter 1. So the first thing we see here is a con or the context revisited. So he brings back up the context of what he said in chapter 1. Now, what did he say at the end of chapter 1? He said, well, he said, listen. He said, the, these, the, the Hebrews, they believed that angels were the intermediaries between them and God, but yet Christ was the intermediary between them and God. They believed that angels is what brought the law. And they elevated the law to a place in their heart that they believed now if the angels brought the law, then the angels were the one that would speak the truth or the word to us. And so now he says, but yet Christ is greater than the angels. And you remember we went through those last two messages showing specifically why Christ was greater than the angels. Therefore, we ought to. And this is the context in which he has revisited. Now, understand, if Christ is greater than the angels, and he is, then what Christ has said ought to be elevated to a place in our heart far above any other word. And this is the picture that we have here in this passage. Why? Because Christ is the author of the new covenant. Christ is the expounder of the gospel. Christ is the truth about salvation. He is everything and He ought to be exalted above all other things. Now, notice secondly the care required. Not only the context revisited, but the care required. Notice what he says. We ought to give more earnest heed. Now this word ought here is a powerful little Greek word. It's translated 13 times in reference to the Lord Jesus himself in the Gospels as the word must. In other words, it's not a word to be taken casually. It's a word that emphasizes great importance. And matter of fact, in this context, the word ought is imperative in the Greek. And you say, what does that mean? It is an emphatic command that he's giving us. Given that Christ is greater than the angels, we ought, we must. It's something that you and I cannot escape. Now watch what, listen, I want to give you some references in which it was used in the Gospels concerning the Lord. Listen to this. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. How many agree that this was not an optional thing for the Lord? I must work the works of him that sent me. That's in John 9, 4. Luke 2, 49. And he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? With you not that I must be about my father's business. So what was supreme in the Lord's life? What he wanted or what his father wanted? 
And so in other words, he said, I must be about my father's business. Luke 4, 43, he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God. In John 4, 4, he said, I mu he must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because that was God's direction for his life to go through Samaria. Now listen, in other words, the Lord used this word in a way that was something that was a emphatic motivation or an emphatic desire of his heart that he could not escape and he could not get away from. Therefore, the must was this, that if the Lord Jesus did not do exactly what he said he had to do, then he would have disobeyed God and would not have been our sacrifice. Now, so here's what he says. Therefore, Given the exaltation of the Lord Jesus, we ought, we must take more earnest heed. In other words, you and I must, imperative in our life, we must give a more earnest heed to what? The things which we have heard. The truth of God's Word. Now, this word, earnest heed, is another powerful word. It's a word that has the idea of a sailor trying to bring a ship safely into port. It's a word that speaks of an urgency of a moment. It's a word that speaks of something in which is critical in its manner. It's something that's not to be taken lightly in any way, shape, or form. And so here's what Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Given Christ and who He is, far exalted above the angels, He said, therefore, we must, we have to, we ought to give more earnest heed, be very careful and very urgent when it comes to the things in which we've heard. Now listen. The Word of God and a child of God needs to be the priority of our lives. And folks, it is the essence of God's revelation to you and I. And you and I need to understand that we ought to treat it in the same manner, in the same manner as the most careful thing that you've ever put your hands on. And it ought to be given the most attention to anything that could ever be in your life. He says we ought, we must, we must more earnestly heed the things in which we've heard. Now what does this word heed mean? Here's the idea of the word heed. It's far more than just listen. In other words, should we hear the Word? Yes. Should we study the Word? Yes. But to heed the Word goes to the fact of your heart and your will. To heed the Word is not only to receive it, but to receive it in such a manner whereby the Word gets a hold of you. And when the Word gets a hold of you, it begins to impact 
your will, your thinking, your emotion. It begins to impact the totality of who you are. And he says, so listen, he said, this is much more than you ought to listen. Now listen, some people are just entertained by the word. But that's not what we're after. What we're after is the word getting a hold of us. I mean, the word literally enveloping our whole thinking, our whole living. The word so gripping us that every step we take, we take with the mindset of the word at the forefront of our mind. That's what the word heed means. So he says, given the fact that Jesus is who he is, far greater than any angelic host, he said, give more earnest heed to the things which you have heard. Well, what makes these things in which we have heard so important? Well, I'm going to skip down to verse bottom verse 3 and verse 4, and I want to show you why it's an imperative in our life. The first reason that we ought to give care concerning the word is because of the authority of the spoken word. Notice the bottom of verse 3. He says, first began to be spoken by the Lord. In other words, here is God incarnate. Here is the Son of the living God. Here is Emmanuel, God with us, and the Lord Jesus spoke the word. He is the word. The Logos made flesh. But he spoke the word as well. And there's all authority. Because why? Listen, it wasn't just spoken by man, even though God uses men. It wasn't just spoken by prophets, even though God used prophets. It wasn't just spoken of by the creation that declares the glory of God, even though God reveals himself through creation. It was spoken by the Lord of glory. And he said that gives it authority. But notice secondly, not only the authority of the spoken word, but the authority of the established word. Notice the, the last phrase of verse 3 and verse 4. And was confirmed. The word confirmed means established unto us by them that heard him. Who are the them? The apostles. And it says, God also bearing them being the apostles' witness. How? By both signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. What took place in the book of Acts? God supernaturally, through signs and wonders and miracles, authenticated the apostles to be the vessels which God would bring about the New Testament church and bring about the spreading of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the spreading of the Word of God. And listen... God so found it important that he would manifest himself in that way through these apostles. Now watch this. And the apostles were the ones that heard him, the spoken word. Now, I'll put an old troubling thing to bed right here right now y'all say amen there are no more apostles the apostolic gift stopped with them 
And so these yo-yos on TV that say they're apostles so-and-so, they need to read their Bibles. But God supernaturally empowered these men, these 12 men, to be the vessels which with the Word was promulgated through the book of Acts. Had a man one time tell me, he said, I based my whole ministry on the book of Acts. I said, you're in trouble. He said, why am I in trouble? I said, because the book of Acts was a transitional book for the, the formation of the New Testament church. If you're basing your ministry off of what God used at one time for a supernatural work to formulate the New Testament church, then you're missing everything else God wants to do. But God supernaturally used those men. So you see the authority of the spoken word. You see the authority of the established word. Jesus spoke it, the apostles established it. And so this is why the writer of Hebrews says, if Jesus is exalted above the angels, if Jesus is exalted above all, we must give earnest heed to what we've heard. The Word. The Word. Well, notice, not only do you see the, a context revisited and the care required, but the caution revealed. Notice what he says. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Now when you find the word them, the first question you're going to ask is what is them? Well, he's pointing us back to the word that was heard. Unless at any time we let the word slip in our lives. Now this word slip here is a, a unique little word. It's a nautical term. And the idea of this term is this, to drift off course. Now I used to, um, I used to bass fish a little bit when I was pastoring in Alabama. We had a gentleman in our church was, that was a professional fisherman on the Federation Cup and he would take me bass fishing all the time. Now, I want to tell you something. If you ever go bass fishing, go with a pro. I'll tell you why. They can put you right where you need to be and tell you right what you need to do. Amen? I caught bass I never thought existed before. I thought it was wonderful. Now, he caught ten times more than I caught, but at the same time, I at least got my hook on a couple of them. But here's one of the things I, I realized. On certain lakes where the wind was strong, if you wasn't careful, you would drift away from where you want to be before you even realized it. That's the picture of this word. The picture is that of a boat that drifts because of the current or because of the wind. So here's what he said. He said, why should we give more earnest heed to what we've heard? Why should we give more earnest heed to the word that the Lord spoke and the apostles established? He said, because if you don't,
the winds of this world, the currents of popular opinion, the currents of false doctrine, the currents of your own way of thinking, will begin to move you off course. And before you know it, you're nowhere near where you're supposed to be. Because the word here is used in this way, not a sudden ripping away from the course you're on. No, no, no. The word is used in this way, a gradual little by little by little moving away from the place that you should be. And can I tell you, that can happen to you in deception without you even realizing it. And he said, therefore, a caution. Give yourself. You must, you must give more earnest heed to the things you've heard. Lest at any time, sometimes unbeknownst to you, you begin to slip away. Slip away. Slip away. Slip away. There's nothing that makes people matter at me than my dogmatic stance on being under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God every time the opportunity is open. Nothing makes people matter at me than that. But let me ask you a question. If the writer of Hebrews thought it was so important that we give more earnest heed to the Word and gives a caution that if we don't, then if I am called to be a preacher of the Word, why would I not continue to implore people to be under the Word? Amen? I mean, listen, it is absolutely a must in the Christian's life. Well, let me, let me just kind of take you through some of this real quick. This word slip, as I said, is this nautical term that can be drift away. It can also be translated in this way, to flow downstream. In other words, something that is caught up in the current of a river or a stream, and it gets caught up in the current and flows downstream. And what happens is it flows right by, and you miss it. You see, the word, if you're not careful, can go right by the hearing of your ear and you miss it. You don't catch it. And when you don't catch it, it don't catch you. You see, this is what it's talking about. Uh, let me show you another place this word slip is used in the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 through 22, talking about wisdom. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. My son, let not them, what? The word, the wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge, not let them depart. There's the word from thine eye. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 says, Do not be blown away with every wind of what? Doctrine. Listen. What's the best way to get 
believers in trouble. How he grace Satan's cunning. How many grace Satan's deceptive. How many grace Satan's a liar. How many agree the Bible says he disguises himself as an angel of light? What does that mean? He disguises himself as a preacher sometimes. What's the best way to do it? Having somebody just stand up and declare outright heresy? Or have somebody stand up and package heresy in just a little bit of truth? And see if I don't more earnestly heed the things that have been spoken the word, then my spiritual antenna is not going to be up. And I'm not going to be able to sift through what is true and what is error. And all of a sudden, the voice of another begins to blow the winds on myself. And I begin to drift. And I begin to drift. And before long, guess what? I'm in trouble. This is the picture that he gives us here. It's the fight of sanctification. It's the, it's the tides of the world, the flesh, and the devil that are working against us. And he says, be cautious. Be cautious that you in any way begin to let the truth of the word become a nonchalant thing to you. Because when you do, there's a foreign wind going to blow. And you're going to be swept up in it. Well, let me show you secondly. Not only is it the admonition about the word, it's the accountability to the word. Look at verse 2. For if, so would you agree for connects us back. For if the word spoken by angels were steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense or reward. What is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the steadfastness of the law. So remember, what, what did Hebrews Base, they're, they're elevating angels to a place they did not deserve. Why did he base that? Because the angels is what, the law came to Moses by angels. That's what they believed. And so, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if, if what was spoken by angels, the law given to Moses was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense and reward, he said, how much so should the word that's spoken by the Lord? Notice a couple of things here. Not only the steadfastness of the word, but the sinfulness to the word. He uses two terms as cause of their sinfulness against the law. Transgression and disobedience. One speaks of a sin of commission. One speaks of a sin of omission. In other words, he says, listen, he said, what took place when Israel went against the law of God? When they didn't heed it. Or they just openly rebelled against it. What happened? Did God in heaven just in His mercy and grace say, Oh, that's okay, let them go. 
Oh, no, no, no. Ask Moses what happened. I mean, Moses, man picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. Moses went to God, said, God, what do you want me to do with this man? He's picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. You say, what's the big deal about that? Hey, I go out and mow my yard on the Sabbath day. Y'all get that when you get home. He picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. Moses went to God, said, God, what do you want me to do? God said, stoning. Stoning? Stoning. Aren't you glad we live under grace? But now here's the catch. Just because we live under grace doesn't mean there's not consequence. See, we think, well, we live under grace. God just turns a blind eye. Not if you're saved. You know why a lot of people... Uh, 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 just willingly does not give themselves to the preaching and the, and the things of the Word of God, and yet nothing nothing in their life is troubling. I mean, nothing happens to them. I want to tell you why. Because, listen, if they can openly rebel against what God has said to do and nothing takes place in their life, then they need to check up. Because God said, listen, He said, this is the cause, but notice the consequence. He says they receive a just recompense of the reward. In other words, they receive in absolute consistency with the holiness of the law. In other words, there's consequences to it. And so when someone in the Old Testament sinned against the law, there was immediate consequences. There was no allowance of transgression in any form under the Old Testament law. Now you say, well, preacher, how's that apply to me? Well, notice lastly the acknowledgement concerning the word. How shall we escape? In other words, if the word given to angels, the law, was so firm and steadfast that no one could sin against the law and there not be consequences. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation. Now, watch this. Well, I'll tell you, this will help you, Okay. You see a couple things here. You see the certainty of chastisement. Now, we have this mindset in the church today in America, chastisement, that's a, such a bad, negative term. I mean, we need to be encouraging people. Well, how many, what if I told you that chastisement, according to the Word of God, is one of the most encouraging passages you can find in the Word of God. You say, why is that? Because listen to the passage. Found in Hebrews, by the way. He chastens those that are sons out of love. And whom he does not chasten are not his. So what is the greatest way I can know I'm His? 
that when I neglect, drift away. God lets me know it. And I can't get away with it. So if our whole peace is found in our relationship with the living God. How many agree that's the basis of our whole peace? Can I tell you without that you have no peace? Alright, how many agree you can't have joy if you don't have peace? Alright, so we tell people all the time, alright, listen, we don't need to use strong words like that. We need to use encouraging words, uplifting words. We need to build people up. No, we need to bring people to the cross. Because when we bring them to the cross, guess what? God lifts them up. That's what edifies the body. Now listen, so here's what he's saying. He said if angels gave a word that was so firm in the law that there was a just recompense of what was done, how shall we escape if we neglect? You see, the certainty of chastisement. God promises He'll let you know you're His by not letting you drift too far. In other words, if your boat starts slipping, God's liable to put a hole in the boat. Y'all say amen. God's liable to tell, tear a sail. I mean, God in His love proves His love to you and proves His love to me by not letting us slip too far away. When you go to the grocery store or Walmart and you see a child just throwing an ever-loving fit, And the parent does nothing about it, just lets him throw a fit. I want this leg over, I want it now. Yeah, okay, son, right, just a minute, I'll get it for you. Y'all never seen that? Y'all say amen. Do you blame the child? No, you blame the parent. So why do we think God would treat us any different? What kind of love would let me and let you have whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted it, however you wanted it, when God knew it wasn't what was best for you? How would that love? Well, see, this is the certainty of chastisement. But notice the cause of this chastisement. He uses this word neglect. So great salvation. This word neglect, now notice here, if it was written to the lost, as most people interpret it, would it say who neglect or who reject? Say reject. It's not rejecting, it's neglecting. In other words, you can't neglect something you don't already have. So how shall we escape if we neglect? Now you say, well, preacher, what is, what's this word neglect mean? It means to make light of or to do nothing with. 
In other words, this so great salvation that set you free from the bondage of sin, that gave you life when all you had was death, that gave you joy when all you had was misery, it gave you peace when all you had was a burden. This great salvation that Jesus spoke of, that Jesus died for, that Jesus rose again, that we could have when we do nothing with it. See, that is the cause of the chastisement. When we don't walk in what God has given us in His salvation, do we really think we can escape the correction of the Lord? Let me give you a couple of illustrations here. I read these illustrations and I thought they were Wonderful illustrations. One commentator used this illustration. He said, if a man had a business, what does he have to do to ruin the business? Here was the answer. Nothing. Just don't give it any time. Don't give it any care. It'll ruin itself. Another Bible commentary used this illustration. I thought it was good too. He said, if you're on a raft on a river, and about 300 yards ahead, the river goes into a fall. He said, what do you have to do to destroy yourself? Just make light of the oar that's in the boat. Don't give any concern to the ore that's in the boat. Just leave it laying. Do nothing. You'll fall to your own peril. So what does it mean to give more earnest heed? That you and I do not neglect, do nothing with the great salvation God so gloriously saved you and I with. Get the ore out of the boat. Start rowing. Now you say, well, preacher, you're putting us under performance. Oh, no, 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 no. Not at all. Because remember, anything you and I do, it's in the power of the Lord that we do it. But I want you to listen. If God gives you an oar, use it. God's giving you the word, use it. And here's what will happen. It'll keep you from drifting. It'll keep you from neglecting. Please listen to me, folks. Christianity is not a Sunday and Wednesday thing. It's a 24 hour a day, seven day a week, 365 days a year. From the day you were born again to the day you breathe your last breath. That's what Christianity is. And so please. Give more earnest heed. Because I promise you folks, in this day that we live in, more than any other day that I've been alive, there's more strange voices and winds today than there's ever been in my lifetime. And you'll get carried away and you won't even realize it.
give more earnest heed. Don't drift. Don't neglect. Let the Word get a hold of you as you get a hold of it. And I'll tell you what will happen. God will take your life. The life that He's placed within you. And by the life He placed within you, here's what's going to happen. He'll safe you, safely get you to port. And you'll finish well. Father, I stand amazed <laughs> to power of your word. I stand amazed at the authority of your word. I stand amazed at the priority that you place upon your word. I stand amazed that, Father, every one of us in here today have Bibles and every saved person has the Holy Spirit through which day by day by day by day we can study and heed your word. And then, Father, you give us these glorious opportunities to come together and study your word corporately. And again, it's you setting the anchor of our ships that the currents and the winds of this world doesn't pull us away. So Father, I pray for every one of us, including me in this place, may we see the absolute priority of Your Word in obedience to Your Word in a way that we've never seen it before. Because it truly is the anchor that keeps us on the right track. And I'll thank you and I'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,